And uh, I just want to encourage you that all of our Second Chance uh, stories will be on the website, uh, thejar.org, and you can check any of those out. And especially if you have a friend that maybe you want to invite, they're like, ah, I don't know if I could, you know, come to, to just point them to some of those stories of real people uh, sitting in these seats who God has worked in their lives uh, and in their marriage. How many of you um, have your bracelet, your second chance bracelet? Raise, raise your hand, okay? Um, if you are new or you didn't get one last week, um, we have some uh, over here at the right at the uh, resource table, and uh, you can just pick one of those up uh, after the celebration if you want to, and uh, that'd be great. Uh, and if you forgot yours today, no problem. But the reason why we want you to uh, uh, wear these is because as you're going through your day and uh, you're thinking, oh, man, I just really messed up, that you'd look down at your wrist and you go, hey, I get a second chance. Or if you're going through your day and things are going great, you go, wow, that's because there's a God who believes in second chances. And so uh, please pick one up before you uh, leave they're free, and we have a whole extra bunch left. And so if you don't take them, it's not good. So stop by there and take one, okay? Um, if you would, to pull out this little card. It was in your program. Uh, one of the sides of it looks like this. It says, uh, First Steps with Chris. And if today's your first time that you've been here or you're fairly new and you're like, hey, I don't know what a next step is. I've been coming on Sunday, but what's the next step? Uh, that's to come to this. It's only 20 minutes, and it's a time for you to just kind of connect with me, and I'll share about the vision of the jar and kind of what's going on. And so I uh, would encourage any of you to go ahead and uh, come to that next week, and it's only 20 minutes. It'll be in between the two celebrations, so we'll start about 10:20, and it'll be uh, right in the exercise room behind us here. And then if you flip that over, uh, it is uh, our baptism class. Now, some of you have been coming for a while, you felt connected, and really your next step is to say, you know what, I'm ready to get baptized. It doesn't mean that you have it all together or that you're perfect. It just means that you know the one who is perfect and you want to have a relationship with him of obedience, that you want to obey him. And so um, the baptism class next week after this celebration I hope many of you uh, will jump into that. Um, now, today what I want to talk to you about is receiving a second chance. Receiving a second chance. Now, in this world, I found that there are two uh, sorts of people. People who are always five minutes early to everything they go to, and then everybody else, okay? So how many of you are the five-minute people? You're five minutes early to everything. You make me sick. I, um, I, I am not uh, a person who is a five-minute early person, but I'm married to a person who is a five-minute early kind of person, and they're there for everything. And uh, Jen is always five minutes early, and it drives me crazy because I think to myself, we just lost five minutes of our life. You know, we're just standing around there waiting. And I'm going through some recovery stuff right now to get better at it, and uh, I've relapsed several different times. Um, in fact, my dad tries to be a big help. Uh, a few months ago, he came up to me and he said, uh, uh, Son, you're going to be late to your own funeral. And I said, well, it won't matter because you won't be there anyway. <laughs> uh, Chuck Mock told me that was a good joke. So if uh, you don't like that, talk to him. Um, Chuck's our uh, Celebrate Recovery guy, 7 o'clock on Thursdays. I hope many of you will go. Uh, but being on time, folks, is a challenge uh, for me. And this week, I kind of was getting revved up and I was going to share... Uh, this weakness in my life, and so I thought, man, I want to work on it. And so, a true story, um, look into my computer bag, and I find this. Managing Priorities and Deadlines, 28 Secrets to 
Time Management Success. You know when I bought that book? Three years ago. You know how many times I've opened it up? Zero. So I felt really convicted that if I was going to teach today, that I need to work on this. So once a week, I'm reading one chapter, one of these 28 things. So 28 weeks from now, I want some accountability. I want you to come up to me and ask me, did you do that uh, during that time? And hopefully it'll change my life. Um, But you see, folks, what I have to decide is, do I really believe that I need to take some steps in my life to manage my time better? I mean, do I really believe this? Because if I do, then it will affect the choices that I make in my life. And folks, this applies really, doesn't it, into every area of our life. For example, people will say that they believe that retirement is important. And if you believe that, and year after year after year after year, you don't save anything back, eventually someone's going to call, uh, call your bluff, and they're going to come up to you and say, you don't really believe that. You just say you believe that. Because if you really believed in retirement, you'd be saving money back. Right? And I think the same principles apply with the way that we often think about God's mercy and grace in our lives. And the way that we think about receiving a second chance. I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, that they believe that God loves the world. They'll actually say that they believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for their sins. That they are forgiven. And yet at the same time, while they might believe it for other people, they just don't believe it for themselves. They have a really hard time believing that God could forgive them of everything in their life, past, present, and future. They believe it, but they haven't believed it to a point that it goes deep down into the crevices of their heart. I want to talk to you today about what it means to receive a second chance at a deep level. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the first time maybe that you ever believed in God or you accepted God or you realized He loved you or that He forgave you. But what I'm talking about today is second chances that you live in every day after that first day. Because you need second and third and fourth and fifth and hundredth and thousandth and millionth chances as you grow in your grace with God. So like I said last week, uh, this whole study is about the book of Galatians, which is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. It's written by a guy by the name of Paul who used to actually help kill Christians, and he comes to Christ, and in the midst of that, he starts some churches. And one of these churches was in Galatia which is in present-day Turkey. So it's kind of like in the Middle East, right there in the middle. And he starts these multiple churches, and everything's going great. Like the churches are growing, people are coming to faith, they're acting and loving each other like Christ's family should, but then all of a sudden, some people move into the church called Judaizers. And the Judaizers believe this, that Jesus, yes, that's important, but it's not enough. That what you really have to have is not just Jesus, but you also have to follow these multiple rules and regulations in the Old Testament. In fact, there were about 614 of them that they said you had to follow. And one of those was circumcision that became the biggest controversy of that day. I mean, like I said last week, can you imagine if you're a 40-year-old man, you accept Jesus, everything's going great, and then all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and says, hey, by the way, if you really want to be in with Jesus, you've got to get circumcised. You'd be like, no. <laughs> See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. You know? 
And that's what's going on in these churches, and Paul's really concerned about it. And what he does is, he says, that's not Christianity. He said, Christianity is this. There'll be a slide up here. It says, Christianity, his understanding of grace was that salvation comes through our grace and faith in Jesus Christ. But the Judaizers' understanding was this, that salvation comes through our own human effort. I mean, if we just keep enough of the religious rules, then you'll be accepted by God. So here's Paul in chapter 3, and this is what he writes. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, this is a letter. So just imagine, someone writes you a letter. And the very first thing they write is, Oh, foolish Chris. You know? I mean, that's not really encouraging, is it? That's what he does, though. Oh, foolish Galatians. What has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Now let's pause there just for a moment because you read that and then you're like, okay, what's this law of Moses saying? Well, the law of Moses, uh, biblical scholars tell us, could be one of two things. One, it's the Ten Commandments. Or secondly, which most of them believe, it's the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch. Okay? So if you want to impress somebody today, you can say the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. And uh, what it said, basically, was that the only way you would receive the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, in your life, is if you lived a good, moral life. If you followed all of these regulations in the Uh, Old Testament. That's how you receive the Holy Spirit. But then Paul doesn't end there. He goes on with another verse, and he says, okay, by the law of Moses, and then what does he say? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How do we receive God's Spirit? How do we become a child of God? How do I receive His forgiveness and mercy? It's by grace. Undeserved favor. Nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. When he sent Jesus to planet Earth to die on a cross, he just said, this is my love offering for all of you, for everything and anything, past, present, future. Now, in saying this, when you receive Jesus as Lord, it eventually shows up in your moral decisions, or we hope so at least. We hope that it impacts the way that you live. But don't get it reversed and messed up like the Judaizers did and think that it's always because of your good works that gets you in with God, because that's not the message. Now, when Paul says, do you believe... uh, do you believe you received the Holy Spirit because you kept the laws of Moses? It kind of raises another question, at least for me. you got this whole big book, the first part of the Bible, called the Old Testament. And then you have the New Testament. And the question always becomes, what are the things in the Old Testament that we should be obeying or following? Because there's so much stuff there. And so this week I looked at what biblical scholars, and many people who are much smarter than I am, um, thought about what are the commandments in the Old Testament and uh, what are the ones that we should live out. And it basically said there were three types of commandments or three types of laws in the Old Testament uh, that they had. The first one was this, ceremonial laws. Now, just stay with me. Some of you are getting that eye glaze look like, oh boy. Okay, just hang with me. We're going to go deep for a second and then we'll come up for air here in just a second. But ceremonial laws, these were practices that priests and other people would do ceremonially during worship. The only problem is, is that when Jesus came, he said, I fulfilled all of the laws. Every single one of them, because I went to a cross and died, they're all fulfilled. My sacrifice on the cross takes care of all of that. So, obviously, when Paul says the law of Moses... He's not talking about ceremonial laws. The second type of laws are civil laws. These were laws of how they dealt with justice. I mean, we like those laws, right? 
the guy in L.A. this week, uh, we want justice for him, right? Because he brought a gun and he shot people. And so in the Old Testament days, in the civil, uh, civil, there were civil laws that if you committed a crime, there was a punishment. The only thing that is different, folks, is that we're not in the ancient times. And Israel is no longer a theocracy. You know what a theocracy means? It's led by God. God does the whole thing. Well, as much as we love Israel, we know it's led by multiple different people. And so it's not the same thing. So obviously it's not ceremonial laws that transfer over. It's not civil laws. So what is it? Well, the Old Testament has much that we can learn from it. In fact, I'd strongly encourage you to read it because it helps you understand Jesus and the New Testament so much more. But we are not bound by those Old Testament laws today. So it leads to a third piece of the law, and that is moral laws. The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not envy. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not have other gods before me. The Ten Commandments. You remember the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston? Some of you are going to have to Google Charlton Heston because you don't know who that is. But he did this movie. It was like B-movie called The Ten Commandments. And uh, the Ten Commandments are the moral laws of God. And when you look at them, every single one of them is reaffirmed in the New Testament. They're back in the New Testament. So these are valid and important for both sides. The moral law is still applicable today for us. If you think about it, those ten commandments are universal. It's kind of like gravity. Even though I'm the pastor and I'm a holy man, if I climbed all the way to the top of this building and I jumped off of it just because I'm holy, just because I'm a godly man, I don't care if Billy Graham went up there. You know what you're going to have? Billy Graham guts all over the, the semen. Why? Because it's gravity. It doesn't change for anybody. Okay? It's the same kind of thing. And that's the way that these moral uh, principles are. They're wired into us as cultures. And so if, you, if your life is based on lying, and you lie, and you lie, and you lie again, day after day after day, eventually, like gravity, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get smashed. And people ain't going to want anything to do with you. And you're going to hurt all the people around you. And you'll find yourself all alone because people don't want to hang around people who are always lying and changing the truth. You're going to find yourself in a situation where no one will trust you. Because nobody trusts someone who lies again and again and again. I mean, you can go through every single one of the Ten Commandments, folks, and Jesus hits on it. He talks about it. He, he reaffirms them in the New Testament. But let me say this. Even though these moral laws are important and we should follow them, none of them save you. None of them are going to get you in good with God. Those things are simply reflections from our life when we're following Him. You see, Jesus is the only one who can save you. That makes sense? It's not everything you do. It's in one person. So for the rest of our time, what I want us to do is look at what does it mean to receive a second chance at a deep level? Well, first of all, the challenge is this. Do we believe that God's grace saves us? Do we believe that God's grace saves us? The undeserved favor of Jesus in our lives. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever dropped or broken your cell phone before? Raise your hand. Okay, a much more honest crowd. Last time, I mean, that first celebration, they are liars, okay? I mean, there were like three people that raised their hand, I think. Okay, well, a couple years ago, I drove up to the church office. I pulled up to the parking space, and I was getting ready to get out, and I had my winter coat on. It was during the winter, and I had not zipped my pocket. And I got out of the car, and all of a sudden, 
I don't know what happened, but my cell phone, my BlackBerry, comes out and it starts falling. And I don't know about some of you, but that can be like one of the longest moments of your life. You know what I mean? It feels like it's slow motion. It's like, and you're like, no. You know? But all of a sudden it just falls down and it just, <laughs> good thing, Sarah. You know, I, I pay people to sit up front to laugh because sometimes I don't know if I'm funny or not. So anyways, it, <laughs> you want me to do it again? Okay, then it falls. And I'm like, oh my God. And so I take it to the handy dandy Sprint store. And I walk up to the person. I go, hey, I broke my phone. They're, you know, like, okay, Mr. Obvious, you know. Uh, yeah, we got that. It, it looks like this, okay, or similar to it. And uh, the girl looked at me, and every once in a while, this happens if you go to your uh, phone store. Not all the time, but every once in a while, they have kind of an unspoken, we're awesome policy. And she looked at me and she goes, because I didn't have any of the insurance. You know, like that four bucks a month that you're supposed to spend and, you know, you really need. I was like, four bucks a month? That's $48 a year. I'm not paying that. <laughs> my wife's like, you cheapskate. So I drop my phone and I, I don't have this rent care policy. And so I walk up and I tell this lady and she goes, you know what? I'm not supposed to do this. But since you seem like a nice guy, and because, you know, I can, I can tell that you've been a good customer, I'm going to give you a free phone. I wanted to kiss that woman. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, you're awesome! I'm like, you are so awesome! Now, about a year later, our family took a vacation to Florida, and we get to uh, the hotel that we were staying at, and there's a swimming pool. And my girls are like, come on, Dad, let's go swimming right now. And Jen's like, you take them, you know. And I'm like, okay. So I get my uh, swim trunks on, and I take my cell phone, I put it in there, and I run, and guess what happened? I dive. At first, you know, like, I'm super dad. We've been on a plane with these nasty kids for like two hours. And we've, you know, gone through the, you know, the, the rental car stuff. But I'm with my kids. And all, and all of a sudden, I'm in the water. And my phone is like drenched. So I run out. And I run up to this table where all of our towels were at. And I'm trying to get it out. And then it falls out. And it smashes on the floor. So we... We, we fly back, we get home, I go, oh, Sprint store. You know, so I go up to the lady, I go, hey, how you doing? And she's like, good. And I said, you remember like a year ago, you like kind of helped me with, you know, I got that free phone that, you know, was, you know, broken and just wondered, you know, <laughs> crazy story. I was loving my kids. I'm a pastor in the community, by the way. And, uh, you know, I, I love my kids. And I jumped in the water and all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it just got wet and so, I just wonder, could you give me a, a free phone? And she's like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I can't do that. I'm like, you're not awesome. You're not like awesome at all. It was like awesomeness ended. I mean, she was awesome one day, but then the next day she wasn't so awesome. But that's human nature, isn't it? Have you ever been around someone like that? They're awesome, they're awesome, they're awesome, they're awesome. And then all of a sudden, something happens and you're like, they're not so awesome. What happened? <laughs> we call that marriage, yeah. right? No. <laughs> no, 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 just joking. Throwing it out there. Or there's some guys in uh, the church, they're big Detroit Tiger fans. And I'm a Pirates fan, and my Pirates made the uh, uh, playoffs this year. I'm like, yeah, Pirates. And they were, like, putting all this smack out on Facebook and telling me, oh, man, Detroit's the team. They're awesome. They're awesome. They're awesome. And then all of a sudden, the Boston Red Sox showed up, and guess what? They weren't so awesome. <laughs> but here's the thing about God, folks. God's different than us. God has an I'm awesome policy, but he's awesome all the time. 
The Bible says us. Let's read it out loud together. It'll come up on the side screens. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the first word? What? Everyone. It doesn't differentiate between race or gender or background or finances or money or whether you have it together or whether you don't have it together. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. In other words, you don't call God one day and you go, hey, I'm struggling with something. Can you help me out? And one day he's like, I'm awesome. I'll help you out. Or another day you call him and you go, hey, God, I need some help. You know, will you forgive me for this? Yeah, I'm awesome. I forgive you for this. But it's not like another person is calling God on the same day and he's like, you know what? I'm not feeling so awesome about you today. And so I'm not feeling it. You're out. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. Paul put it in Galatians 3, uh, verse 2, this, this way. He said, you received the Spirit because you believed in the message you heard about Christ. You see, when you believe, folks, you receive. When you believe the message, you received God's Spirit in your life. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you receive the Spirit because you feel good today about the message of Christ. It doesn't say that you receive the Spirit because you feel happy today. It doesn't say that you receive the Spirit because you feel joy today. It doesn't say you didn't receive the Spirit because you had a crappy day. It just says that you receive the Spirit when you believe. Now here's what's important. If you're a follower of Christ, there is a differentiation between faith and feelings. Faith and your feelings. There's a difference between your faith and your feelings about your faith. So, some of you have walked in today and you're frustrated, you're overwhelmed, you're tired, you're worn up. Your feelings are all over the map. You're not getting enough sleep at night. You're working double shifts. You feel like you're pulling all the way at work and at home. But just because you don't feel like God's around, just because you don't feel like God doesn't care, just because you maybe feel like you're all alone, it doesn't make it true. Just because you feel it, folks, doesn't make it true. I mean, the Bible says that God loves you, that He forgives you, that He's already moved and worked on your behalf. Faith says that even when I'm having a bad day, I still believe that God loves me. Even though I'm going through a season of depression right now in my life, I still believe that God is working out something good. Even though I'm tired and worn out and overwhelmed, I'm showing up to church... Because I'm going to be faithful to my faith. Now just listen for a moment. Because this is what I've experienced and I think it's been true uh, of my life. God typically has shown up the most when I felt Him the least. I experience Him the most when I feel Him the least. I look back sometimes on my dry seasons of my life and I look back and I go, oh man, it, it like really was horrible back then. But then now looking back on it, he was like building my faith and giving me character and confidence and the guts to stay. I will stand even when I don't understand. I will follow even if it doesn't make sense right now. I'll keep walking in faith even though my feelings and my emotions are all over the map. The truth is, folks, this. It's very important to realize. Your feelings can lie to you. They lie to you all the time. But it is your faith that can say 
Whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, I'm still going to believe in the message of Jesus. I'm going to have some tough times, but I'm going to keep walking in faith. Because I believe that God's grace saves me. Here's another challenge that we face when we receive a second chance at a deep level, and it's this. You believe that God's grace completes you. Not only does it save you, but it also completes you. This week I ran across a really cool uh, book called Things Come Apart. It's by an artist, by, the guy, uh, by, by a guy by the name of uh, Todd McClellan. And basically what he does is he takes items and then he disassembles all of them and then he takes a picture of it. So I'm going to throw a few of these up here and see if you can figure it out. Anybody know what that is? What? Lawnmower. Good job. Uh, That is a lawnmower. It's an old school kind of lawnmower, okay? Here's another one. Check this out. Anybody know what that is? It's a typewriter. Now, some of you right now, if you're in your 20s or you're a teenager, you're like, what? Google it, okay? Just Google typewriter and they'll show it. Okay, here's another one. Do you know, can you recognize it? It's a camera. That's every piece of a functioning camera. So, I mean, theoretically, you should be able to take all of those different parts put them back together, and you could have a functioning camera. Now, what if somebody came up to you and said, hey, why don't you put that camera back together? If it was like me, it would be like, it ain't happening. I mean, last night, folks, this is a true story. You know that little thing on the bottom of your refrigerator that is the grate? You have to clean that nasty thing out. My wife at 8 o'clock last night decided that this was the time we had to do this. She just had no clue how to put it back on. So I spent an hour, and I mean I was yelling and screaming, Jesus' name, and... No, I'm joking. But I just couldn't, like, I couldn't get it. And she's getting mad, and I'm like, well, if I'm down here, you're going to be down here. And we're... We, All we had to do was open the door, folks. And all of a sudden, it just popped right in. No problem whatsoever. Okay? But I didn't know that. And if this camera right here, if you didn't know how to put it back together, what would you do? You know what I would do? I would ask the inventor of the camera to come and to help me out. And let's say that for some weird reason, the guy showed up, and he starts, like, putting it together. Now, uh, let's say that he gets about halfway done, and then all of a sudden you say, okay, you can stop now. I think I can do the rest. I see your little tricks there at the trade. I'm good to go. Uh, See you later, bud. I can do it on my own. That would be stupid. It would be crazy thinking. And yet, folks, this is the point. It's exactly the same way that many of us treat our spiritual lives. God comes and He meets us and our screens are cracked and our lives are messy and He starts putting it all back together. Because He's the Creator. He's the only one who knows to put all of it back together so that it works and functions correctly. He starts putting it back together and He restores us. And then uh, He uh, allows us to to know Him. And And He gets about halfway done with many of us And then we say, okay, God, good job. Appreciate what you're doing, but I think I can do it on my own. I mean, with enough human effort, I can do it on my own. So thanks, God, but take a break. And then we start doing everything on our own. And we forget that the same grace and mercy that was given to us when we first came to Christ is the same grace that completes us in the rest of our lives. So here's what Paul says in Galatians 3.3. How foolish can you be? This is the second time in three verses that he said the word foolish. 
How foolish can you be? It's like he's given a spanking, you know, to the Galatians. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human what? What's it say? Effort. He says you started your Christian life by the Spirit. You received Jesus when you believed, and God began to do a great work within your life. You were dependent on Him. You started to pray, and you started turning to Him. You didn't know all about God, but you knew enough to know that He loved you and that He gave His mercy for you. And you're going on the journey. And Paul says that once you've started on this Christian life, why are you now trying to do it in your own human effort? You see, because many times we're tempted to say, the only way that God will be with me is if I'm good. I've got to be good, so God will continue to love me. I've got to be good. I've got to go through these religious hoops, and God will continue to show up. And you know how I know this is true? Because there are dozens and dozens of people that I've run into over these nine years of the jar, and they came to the church for a while, and then they just kind of fell off planet Earth, and I'll walk up to them like at Lowe's or you know Walmart or something like that, and I'll say, hey, how you doing? I'm not honestly trying to do anything except, hey, you know what? We miss you. And, uh, you know, we'd love for you to come to church. And I've seen this so many times. I'll be like, yeah, I know. But I just don't feel like my life is worthy of going to church right now. I mean, you know, I've just kind of fallen. I've gone backwards. It's bad. And I just thought it was so bad that I won't go to church until I get it put back together. And then once I do, then I'll be back at church. And then now I'm just a little bit more bold than I was in the early days. And I'll be like, how's that working out for you? <laughs> like, seriously, how's that working out for you? It's saying that based on my own human effort, when I get good enough, then God will show up. When I get good enough, then I'll go to church. But Paul is saying, that's the wrong order. You come to God, folks, every single one of us. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, name any spiritual person that you think is so above that you could never, even they, they come to God in their brokenness. They come to God when they're hurt. They come to God when they're feeling pain, when they're sinning, when there's temptations. And then He meets you where you are. And He works in your life. God has this policy, folks, that if you show up, He shows up. He's always there. He doesn't say, show up, and then He leaves you hanging. He is always present, and God's grace completes you. Then Paul says this, Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. You see, God's grace completes us when we believe Him and when we turn to that message. Now, I've had some boxes that have uh, been up here uh, this whole time. And uh, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll turn these around so that... Uh, we have them, but almost every single world religion that I know of begins with this, that God's acceptance. Every world religion is trying to get you to the point where you are accepted by God. And basically, that's what it's about. I want to do whatever it takes so that I can be accepted by God. And what typically happens is then eventually you say, well, the way I must be accepted by God is that I have to live a good life. And so you start doing a good life. But with a good life has to come some good deeds. And so you start doing some more and more good deeds. And then finally you think, well, okay, that is me then. That then there comes little old me, the smallest box. Now, when you look at how many individuals live their lives, 
And when you look at how many world religions look at this, how they frame things up in their faith, it's exactly what was happening in the church of Galatia as well. They're trying to order things in a certain way. And so what every world religion outside of Christianity, I believe, and uh, what was happening in the Galatian church is that they said, now, where this whole thing starts is with me. It's all about me. And that if I am a good enough person, then I can get to God's acceptance. But the only way that I can get to God's acceptance is that, first of all, I have to do some good deeds. And so once I do enough good deeds, that helps me to get closer to God. And then uh, if I do enough good deeds, then it will lead to uh, a good life. And then if I lead a good enough life, uh, then all of a sudden God will choose then to accept me. Am I making you nervous in the front row? Okay. Now this, folks, is really, really shaky, isn't it? It's very, very shaky. Yeah, it looks like it's going to just, just fall down. It's a very shaky thing right here. And yet every major religion, folks, tells you, outside of Christianity, that this is the way you get to God. That it's all about you first, and then you do a whole bunch of good stuff, and that if you do enough good stuff, then eventually you can, maybe on your deathbed, God will finally then say, you know what, you're good enough, so I'll accept you into heaven. But I just want you to know, folks, this is not Christianity. This is Christianity. And Paul said it to the Galatians. He said it first begins with God. It's all about God and what He did for you through Jesus Christ. The only reason any of us are ever accepted, folks, is not because of anything that we do. It's because of what Jesus has already done for us. Now, the reality is, though, once we realize this reality in our life, then all of a sudden we want to live a good life. It's not because we feel like you have to owe it to God, but you do it because you want to honor God. And so you start living a good life. And then eventually you start doing some good deeds. And sometimes these good deeds, though, folks, are you know two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. Like, I used to be a much more patient person before I had kids. But then I had kids, and all of a sudden I'm not as patient. But this is the thing, folks. Regardless of whether I'm patient or impatient tomorrow or yesterday, it doesn't change God's acceptance for me. And whether or not you cuss when you stub your toe or you get angry because your spouse leaves the door open. Whatever it is, it doesn't change His acceptance to you. And you can do all of these moral things and they're good, but it all begins, folks, with what Christ did for you. And eventually, you realize that He's the one who saved me, forgave me, restores me, gives me life, and then finally, there's just little old me. And you know what I find? Is that it's not about me. It's really not about me. It's about what He His acceptance is because of that. You see, folks, it's grace that completes 
your life. You know, for many of us, we start with God's grace and we go, you know what, Chris, I really do believe that. I really do believe that. I mean, it's a much easier way than what I was doing before. You know, with me at the bottom, it was really hard. It's a much easier thing. But what happens is we start off with grace, and then we get it twisted and confused, and we think it's about our own human effort and how we can do it. So if you're there or you're ever tempted to reverse this thing and make it feel so overwhelmed that it's weighing you down, then I just want to close by asking you this question. And the question is this. When was the last time you delighted in the Lord? I mean, you know, when was the last time you're driving down the street and all of a sudden you have a moment? You know what I'm talking about? You're driving down the street and all of a sudden you have this moment and it just hits you. Whoa! God loves me. I mean, like, God forgives me. That His grace is sufficient for me. That there's nowhere I can run to. That He isn't there. I mean... I know God forgives other people, but what about me? And then all of a sudden you're like, no, no, no. It's you that He forgives. Like God cares about little, old, tiny me. Big, gigantic God acceptance cares about little, old, tiny me. Folks, when was the last time that you gave yourself a moment to where you just Delighted in Him. In fact, the Scripture says this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And folks, this isn't a suggestion. It's actually a commandment that God wants you to delight in Him. When was the last time that you found yourself delighting in the Lord? That God loves you. That He cares about you. Jesus went to a cross to die for you. He forgives you. He restores your life. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity for you to simply delight yourself in the Lord. Surrounding us are communion tables. And communion is simply a time in which we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So I'd like you to take a couple of moments just between you and God, to delight yourself in God. You can confess anything that you need to because He doesn't care what it is because it's the foundation is His acceptance for you. And so you can go to one of these tables and you just tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the juice and take and eat. And then when you're done, if you could just come back to your seat... We'll close in a song. Now, I was praying about this week, and I know some of you, maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of your life at all. You've always felt like it was so hard that it had to be about me, and then I build all these things. And so I'm going to be standing at this table right here, but this table is only for people who are saying for the very first time, hey, I, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Everyone else, you can go to the other tables or sons around. Because I have a feeling that God's been prompting some of you, to be quite honest, that He wants you to take that step. And the reality is you just, you know, you're, you're like, I, I don't know. There'll be a lot of commotion, so no one will be like looking, you know. Maybe you've been coming here for months, years, but you've never really made that commitment to say, I want Him to be center of my life. Well, today might be your day. I actually measured it from the two farthest places uh, of this uh, gymnasium, and it's 50 feet uh, approximately to that table. 
And uh, I can't think of 50 steps that would be better for you to take than those 50 today. Because it doesn't just change your present, folks. It changes your future. It changes your whole eternity. And you finally can say, I'm just going to build it on this. I'm tired of having it all switched around and everything being on me. God, I need you. So let's take some time right now to delight in the Lord. And then I'll pray and then you're free to go to the table. So just between you and God, take some quiet moments to delight in the Lord. thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Thank you for allowing him to go to a cross and die for our sins. Thank you for our second chance. God, we receive it now, not because we've earned it, not because we've done enough good things in our own human effort to get it, but we receive it as a free gift because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you, God, for the gift of eternal life and for being our second chance. God, help us to delight in you. We simply now receive your amazing grace.
guys can, as you make your way back to your seats, stay with us as we close with this song. feel free to come on up and we will see you next week.
chance. We just need to get a smile from Mr. Grumpy Pants. So 